0: We think that we're not qualified, we don't know enough, we're not um, able to make, we can't contribute, but that's so not true when you think about who we are, what we do, and the expertise we bring, and that perspective and knowledge that we bring. It's perfect for legislating.
1: Why should nurses and midwives run for elected office? Let's talk all about it with Kimberly Gordon, the co-founder of Healing Politics, a nonprofit organization on a mission to inspire, cultivate, recruit, and train nurses and midwives to run for elected office while building a culture of civic engagement, right here on episode 418 of The Nurse Keith Show. Well, hello there. This is Nurse Keith. This podcast is always about you and your personal and professional development, your healthcare career, and the healthcare system in the big picture. You know, I'm here to share education ideas, diatribes and informative interviews with some of the most inspiring people out there in the world. I love having you along for the ride, and I thank you from the bottom of my nurse podcaster's heart for being part of the growing Nurse Keith Nation. And if you'd like to help other people find the show, consider leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon, or Spotify, or just share the show with anyone you think would enjoy it from any app where you happen to be using it. And please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com forward slash nursekeith. Even $2 a month can really help support getting this show out there and continuing to bring you the value that I try to bring you every week. And that's P A T R E O N.com forward slash nursekeith. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com in the podcast drop down menu. But of course, you can find them on any app. Where you happen to be listening. And as I said, we're here today with Kimberly Gordon. She's the co-founder of Healing Politics, the nonprofit organization I mentioned at the top of the show. And Kim, the first thing I want to ask you is what does it mean to you, this concept of healing politics?
0: That is a fantastic question and thank you so much for having me today on the podcast. It's such an honor when I look at the list of people who've been here before. So thank you so much for inviting me today.
1: Oh, you're so, you're so sweet.
0: <laughs> so the um healing politics is was an important obviously play on words. Um, But we really do believe that nurses and midwives involved in elected office at every single level bring a new perspective to the discourse that we have in politics. And if most nurses and midwives are very turned off by politics, especially now because it is so partisan and sometimes so contentious, but the one thing that we do, I think better than almost any other profession, is collaborating with people and finding common ground meeting people where they are and moving forward. And if we can bring that in a larger number to elected office with more of us in elected office, I really do think we can change the conversation.
1: Mm -hmm. And when it comes to nurses specifically, um, not that many nurses have served in Congress, for instance. I know Bernice Johnson is, I think she's retiring out in California and she's served for a very long time and she's been a nurse member of Congress who many of us have looked to with great respect for a very long time. And she's conducted herself with such dignity. Um, Who else has been out there as a nurse, especially who you feel is worth mentioning right now as a potential inspiration?
0: There are now, because this is the world I live in, there are so many nurses that serve on the national level. There's Lauren Underwood, who was elected as a young, young African-American woman. She turned a district from Republican to Democrat. And her whole reason for running was based on her work as a nurse in, the, in President Obama's administration regarding health care. She had a pre-existing condition. And when she saw that her representative was voting against the Affordable Care Act, she threw her hat in the ring and said, There's, I'm one of you know hundreds, if not millions of people, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people with pre-existing conditions. And to think that my insurance could go away or be delayed because of that, so she is a huge inspiration, and I think one that we, we kind of all know. She's relatively, in the nursing circles anyway, a common name. A couple of people that we might not think of, and um, the first one is Erin Murphy. She is in Minnesota. She now serves in the Minnesota Senate. Um, she was very involved in the Minnesota Nurses Association. She was their executive director. She was elected to the House of Representatives in Minnesota. And then she ran for governor. Mm. She was the first nurse in the United States to run for governor. And she won the um, the endorsement of her party. She was going to be on that party ticket. And then the current governor jumped into the race at the very end. And unfortunately, Erin um, lost that race. She ran again. And now she serves in the Minnesota Senate. But her story and her reason and her why and how she talks about nursing and how she got to where she is, is absolutely inspiring for anybody, whether you're a nurse or the general public. I mean, her story is incredibly compelling. Mm. And then we've got Bethany Hall-Long, who's in Delaware. Um, She is the current lieutenant governor. Of Delaware. And we think that she's going to run for governor in 2024. My fingers are crossed for that. But she too has a fascinating story about how she got involved in politics. And it all surrounds being late to a policy course when she was in nursing school. Um, she had to talk about politics. And she didn't know anything about it. She learned a lot, started her career. She was a home health nurse. And now she's the lieutenant governor of Delaware. So, these nurses, no matter what they're doing and no matter what level they're doing at, it at, they all come from a little bit of a different perspective, but all bring that nursing expertise and ex, um, experience to what they're doing. And each one of their stories is incredibly motivating.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're mentioning really high profile people and high profile races like governor, member of Congress, you know, um, senator state senator etc so you know here in new mexico with the new mexico nurses association and deborah walker who's been the executive director for a long time it's a very engaged civically engaged organization and we often do talk about you know people can run for city council they can run for school board um they can run for you know advisory committees within their municipalities so It doesn't have to start or it never has to even escalate for an individual to, you know, like a big state office or a federal office, right? They can start very, very small and even stay on that level if they feel that's where they can be most effective.
0: Absolutely. That is an excellent point, partly because our organization, Healing Politics, focuses on nurses who are running for local And state offices, that is where we wanted to concentrate our time because as nurses, nurses aren't independently wealthy. We're not, we don't have a lot of time on our hands. Um, So we want to encourage nurses to get involved at their city level, at the for city council, for school board, for water board, even when we're talking about natural resources and environment, mm-hmm. um, it certainly doesn't have to be at the state level. And in fact, when you hear nurse legislators talk, those who serve in state legislatures now, many of them started as city council people or town council, library board is another one that's pretty popular that we see. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are plenty of places to start. And like you said, they'll, that's where kind of the rubber meets the road. And so you can actually make the biggest impact in your community with a local office. I mean, those are when you think about who affects your day-to-day life most. Sure, we're all focused on the federal government. And then the state government controls a lot of our budgeting and things like that. What happens? The money that gets sent to our communities But it is those community bodies that really control our daily life um, and policies that are made there that really affect us, our, our health systems that we work in, and most importantly, our patients. And we can make a huge difference at that local level.
1: We can. And if we're interested in things like elections, there are election boards. You know, we can be poll watchers or we can be part of the election board that, you know, oversees, you know, how elections are conducted in our local um catchment area, whatever it's called, where we happen to live. And um, you know, I think school boards, library boards, city councils, those are all super important. So there's plenty of places where people can get civically involved if they choose to. Um, so is healing politics, well, I know it's a nonprofit. Right. So is it also a nonpartisan organization?
0: Absolutely. And in Mm -hmm. fact, to be nonprofit, it has to be nonpartisan. And we were very um, we were very careful and thoughtful in how we set up healing politics. Um, Our main uh, initiative is running our campaign school. And that is initially what we were focused on. But then when we thought about that bigger initiative, which is the civic engagement piece, that's going to happen at all different levels. It's going to happen within both of our major parties, but not necessarily ending there. There are nurses that belong to all sorts of different third parties that can be involved and should be involved as well. So it was incredibly important that we open it to everybody. And the more research is done, we find that nurses are pretty much split between our two political parties, in fact, throughout the United States. I mean, there's 4.3 million of us. So we're not a monolith all with one set of ideas or worldview. It's all very different. So we um, specifically set ourselves up to be a we the new ter- well the new term the term that we're learning about is cross partisan rather than non partisan or bipartisan because there are so many different ways to get involved there are non partisan offices to run for but more importantly to make sure that every point of view is welcome and it's possible for you to win regardless. Um, we see that a lot now after 2016. And and when we had that huge influx of women coming into office in 2018, many of those women from ordinary backgrounds, quote unquote, that's political science term. That's mm-hmm. what's used in the political science literature. Um, we learned that those people came from outside the parties. They weren't involved in their political party at all and threw their hat in the ring. And in some cases, you know, had to fight against a party in order to get elected. So yes, um, for for the maximum amount of opportunities, for the maximum amount of people, um, that's why we set it up. But it also turns out that's really the only way you could be um, considered a nonprofit organization.
1: Mm. Yeah, when you mentioned that wave of women, that's. Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and all the other women who kind of came in in that during that midterm election, correct?
0: Exactly.
1: Yeah. Speaking of um, AOC, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, you know, the millennial generation has really come of age, so to speak, and they are beginning to take the reins of leadership and power in the country right now you know healthcare people like aoc who are in congress now you know i have millennial colleagues who are heads of organizations and you know directors of nursing et etc cetera, et cetera, chief nursing officers from your perspective you know from where you said do you feel that the millennial generation is civically engaged on a whole and are nurses of that cohort showing interest because they're the ones who are coming into leadership now and who are really going to set the course for the next, I don't know, several decades.
0: That is a great, that's a great observation and it's a, it's a terrific question because What we know about the generations is millennials, they're beginning, they're in their 40s, they're beginning to turn 40. So the the older part of that generation is in their 40s right now. And then it goes down all the way to 30s, um, late 20s. And now Mm -hmm. we're starting to see Gen Z um, coming up behind them. So I certainly hope that more of them get involved. The early data and the early research that was coming out in 20, a lot of it came out in 2018. There was a ton of research that was done after the 2016 election. And what we were finding were millennials didn't The initial research that came out was they didn't want to wait for the change and work within the system. They were more interested in working outside of the system. Hmm. But quite frankly, that's not what I see. And that's not the nurses that I talk to. um, And even the nurses that uh, are involved with our organization, we see so many mid-20s nurses, early 30s. I mean, we really have a a gamut. I mean, from you know, 24 to 73, um, for example. But it's so wonderful to see the young people kind of taking those reins and getting involved. And I think what really changed that was COVID. Mm. I mean, what we're seeing now, the, the shortfall in our health system and kind of the debacle that it turned into after COVID and kind of shining that bright light in the people who are going to be working in that health system the longest are our new graduate nurses. They're nurses who've been there for a few years, um, but it really has turned health care on its ear. And the more we're out there talking to nurses and introducing the concept to them, they are much more willing to embrace that, I think, than even some of the people in my generation. I'm a Gen X, mm-hmm. so it's kind of hard to, you know, convince somebody who's got, you know, the sandwich generation. They have children, they have parents, and um, but it is it is a very interesting time. And I certainly hope that the upheaval in healthcare really um, kind of spurs nurses on to be looking for policy solutions and that they can have a role in making those policy solutions.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I have a lot of hope in Gen Z and the millennial generation, Gen Y, which is what they're also called. Um, I do think there is a large cohort within those two generations who want to see change enacted and, you know, Older generations always cast dispersions on the younger generations. It's always happened and always will. But I do think there's a lot of good things happening. Like I think of Charlene Platten, my friend who and colleague, who's the head of um, ambulatory nursing at Stanford in California. And, you know, she's a powerful leader. And there's so many others as well. And some will get involved civically, some will work from other. Vantage points. And a question I have for you in terms of nursing organizations, you know, um, there are some powerful nurses' unions in the United States. You know, National Nurses United comes to mind. Do you think some of the labor unions are funneling people into this particular political arena in terms of public service? Do you think that there's a movement within? those organizations similar to what healing politics is doing?
0: I think to some degree um, they are way more nurses and unions are way more civically engaged and civically aware Mm -hmm. um, because of how they're, workplace is structured, their contracts are structured, they're way more keyed into that aspect of their nursing careers. We see it. Martha Marks in um, Connecticut was just, she was very involved in her political party, but she was uh, the leader of the union in her area. And now she was finally elected to the state house in Connecticut. And she is a huge advocate for nurses. While. I don't know if Karinas Reyes from the Bronx in New York City was a union member. She's been out on the front lines with nurses who are striking. Same thing with Aaron Murphy in Minnesota. Um, I do think that those nurses are more politically engaged and civically aware. And I certainly hope that that will extend to their involvement. I know it has in pockets, but getting more familiar with the states that have these unions I'm hoping we're, you know, we're reaching out to every single one of them to say, "Hey, we're here. We can help. We can. We want to add to what you're doing."
1: Mm-hmm. And before we take a break, I just want to ask you, in terms of the knowledge, the skills, the expertise, the 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 ways of thinking that nurses bring to the table, critical thinking, you know, the just that whole. The whole way in which nurses operate, you know, and it starts with our education. What do you think is most important about that nurseness that is important in public service?
0: I think. Our nursing education, this is a great question because we hear it over and over from nurse legislators that kind of realize it after the fact, the role that the nursing process plays In how they legislate. I mean, it's just so ingrained in our brain assessment, diagnosis, Mm -hmm. um, planning, implementation, evaluation. That is so like second nature to us. It's how we think. Mm -hmm. And that's exactly how legislation and policy are made. um, Mm -hmm. That we, we are just, it's our thought process. It's our problem. It's the way we solve problems. Mm -hmm. It's Um, how we take in information. And while most nurses don't think about that being good in public policy, I think if you sat them down and said, this is what you learn, this is what you know, what would improve making public policy or avoid some of those um, unintended consequences of public policy, I think they would tell you they would go through that process. That's how they answer questions. That's how they solve problems. And I think they would come upon it, but I don't think they'd realize it. And that's, I mean, we hear it over and over. In fact, one nurse legislator was talking to her brother and she, and he said, but don't you realize you're talking about nursing? You're talking about the nursing process. Mm-hmm. You're exactly explained. And she said, my gosh, I'd never thought about that before, mm-hmm. but it's, it's just, it's the perfect compliment. Um, We think that we're not qualified, we don't know enough, we're not um, able to make, we can't contribute, but that's so not true when you think about who we are, what we do, and the expertise we bring, and that perspective and knowledge that we bring. It's perfect for legislating.
1: Yeah, there you go. I I do. I bring up the nursing process in all sorts of different contexts, and I can sometimes feel nurses going, you know, they're rolling their eyes. They're like, if I (laughs) hear that term one more time, but it is true, it it is pervasive and it's part of how we think and how we view the world and we view problems and problem solving. So when we come back from the break, I'd like to talk about the campaign school. I want to talk about the healing politics team and what nurses can do to become civically engaged if running for elected office is not in their you know, it's just not, they don't have the mojo for it. What else can they do to be engaged? So does that sound good for the second half? That sounds
0: fantastic.
1: Awesome. Well, hang in there with us. We'll be right back with Kimberly Gordon, co-founder of Healing Politics in the second half of episode 418 of The Nurse Keith Show. And welcome back to the second half of the episode. We're here again with Friend of the Pod and my new friend and colleague, Kimberly Gordon of Healing Politics, a nonprofit organization that assists cajoles and trains nurses, midwives, and others to get involved in the elected process in terms of being civically engaged and possibly even running for public office. Now, Kim, according to your bio, you're a reformed accountant. You have a Bachelor's of Science in Business <laughs> Administration. And then you chose to pursue a career in nursing, nurse anesthesia. You have a BSN and an MSN from University of North Carolina at Greensboro. And then you got your DNP at Yale. So, you know, you're pretty deep into the um, into the, the nursing world at this point. So What was it about business when you got your first degree that didn't quite work? And what is it about nursing that actually ended up working for you?
0: Oh, that's, that is, it's such an easy answer because- business working um I, I worked for a big manufacturing company and I did cost and budget accounting and it was interesting. It was interesting work. But working 40, 50 hours a week doing that and really not making a difference. I mean I was I was counting dollars and cents for a, a huge company and even Working 50 hours a week sometimes to close the books at the end of the month, what I contributed or what our site or division contributed just kind of got rounded up or down in the grand scheme of things because it was a such a big company. But manufacturing, obviously, I understand its importance to the economy, but it wasn't very personally fulfilling to me. Mm. And I really wanted to do something where I felt like I was making a difference every day. And so when I started going back to school, I knew it was something healthcare that I wanted to do. I just wasn't sure what it was. And here in North Carolina, I was relocated from Cleveland, Ohio, to North to Greensboro, North Carolina. It was actually somebody that I worked with at the manufacturing plant that I was relocated to that said, "We've got this great nursing school here at the University of North Carolina at Greensboro." I took an intro to nursing course, and I was instantly hooked Mm. instantly. And I can remember, I loved, 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 loved my um, BSN education, every single one of my professors at UNCG. Um, That's where I learned about nurse anesthesia and then went back to get that degree. Um, I just found... Not only the people that I was learning from and working with to be so inspiring in whatever way they had chosen to serve the profession, Mm -hmm. but going into work every day and feeling like I was making a difference with a patient or a family or a unit as when I was um, working as an assistant nurse manager it always felt like I was doing something. So even if I worked extra shifts or overtime or whatever that was, it still felt like I was making a difference. Mm,
1: that's awesome. And you've done all sorts of things. You, um, as adjunct faculty, you've taught health policy and leadership at Wake Forest School of Medicine in Western Carol- Carolina University, and- you have been deeply involved in the North Carolina Nurses Association and the North Carolina Association of Nurse Anesthetists, and you've been um, board member of Healthcare Providers for Greater Access and Government Relations Chair for the North Carolina Organization of Nurse Leaders. So you've been involved, you know, in you know policy and related areas and aspects through these different organizations and have you ever thought of running for elected office yourself? Oh no. No. <laughs>
0: I am no no, that was a quick answer. I am much more behind the behind the scenes. Yeah. I like um supporting people who run for office, yeah. I like the strategy and figuring it out, but not my Yeah.
1: I understand. Yeah, but you we need people like you behind and speaking of leading from behind and you know training, educating, cajoling, um, inspiring people to, to take, take on this particular um, task. You have a campaign school run by Healing Politics. And I can imagine what campaign school is, but can you explain how it
0: works? Absolutely. So some ba- this was part of my DNP project at Yale. Um, My advisor, when I graduated in 2021, my advisor who was quote unquote retiring um, from Yale and her teaching of policy and advocacy, her name is Lisa Summers. She had an entire career in policy in health policy with professional organizations and whatnot. She agreed to we uh, we didn't want to let the idea that we couldn't do the candidate school or the campaign school at Yale stop us. So we created our organization, Healing Politics, turned it into a bigger initiative. And now, um, in I'm kind of skipping around, but we had this plan to do at Yale School of Nursing. The dean, and Kurth, was so very supportive there of this project, but then covid Mm -hmm. Um, It was supposed to happen in May of 2020. Um, We all know that COVID happened. I graduated in April of 2021. Um, And so we've been kind of waiting to hold this campaign school since then. So um, during my doctoral work, there's a professor at Duke University. His name is Nick Carnes. And he looks at non-traditional candidates, kind of working class candidates and why more don't run for office. And so, when I got out of school, he continued to work with us and be involved in healing politics in the um, scholarly side of the work. And he also said, "Well, you can have the campaign school here if you want to hold it at Stanford School for Public Policy at Duke University." And so, once we had a place and a, um, we came up with a date, we had already had the faculty in place from the school that we had planned. Um, So, we decided, talked to the faculty, decided to hold it in May of 2023, three years from the time we were supposed to hold it post-COVID. So, what we're planning on doing is we have nurse legislators, we have campaign consultants, campaign experts that work on messaging or digital or getting out the vote, all sorts of aspects of running a campaign. And so what we're doing is we're bringing in 50 nurses and midwives, some who want to run for elected office, others who are interested in campaign management, and others still that are interested in working on campaigns. So things like grassroots volunteerism, financial directors, so people that want to be involved in campaigns as well. We're going to train those 50 nurses over three and a half days um to run a campaign to run for elected office or to work in a campaign they all kind of go hand in hand it's helpful for everybody to know all of a little bit about all of that as they make that decision So we will start on Wednesday, May 24th, and it will end Saturday afternoon, May 27th. And in that time, we're going to go from morning until night. We're going to start in the morning and we're going to end in the evening with simulated campaign events um, where we can kind of put nurses through the paces to show them what exactly it's like on a campaign trail, what it takes to run for office. All the while having these wonderful nurse legislators who have done it already um, there to show them, you know, I did this, you can do this too. And so we're um, doing an event, not an event, a pre-session so they can kind of bring things with them to make the most of their time at the campaign school. And then we'll do a post-session afterwards to kind of provide support, ongoing support to them. Um, as they come up with questions and and delve more into their thinking process about, you know, what was that about fundraising or what was that about um, getting out the vote or recruiting volunteers to work? So we're able to do that as they move along in the process as well.
1: That sounds great. And is it the four of you, the four members of the Healing Politics team who are running the the campaign school?
0: It is actually um, Lisa and I that Mm -hmm. are running the school. And then we have 12 faculty members from around the United States. Three of them are nurse legislators Mm. that will be there. Um, So it's really a, a team effort. We had the idea for nurses in elected office, but obviously not all of the expertise um, Mm -hmm. on how to do that. But we knew people who knew people and um, met people along the way as we attended campaign schools um, to kind of get a feel for who was out there doing what. So it is... it is a great collection of nurses. Some people who've run nurses' campaigns um, have consulted on nurses' campaigns, mm-hmm. and then others who have um, who are just experts in their field.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. And that sounds wonderful. And that's May twenty third of two thousand twenty three. Correct.
0: Twenty fourth. May twenty fourth through May 27th of 2023. And I should say, the one thing that I didn't bring up, we were talking about Nick Carnes. He is very interested in helping us with our impact studies. So, as a PhD with um, PhD students that he's working with, they're actually going to help us track these nurses and midwives to see what happens after they go to a campaign school we know what happens for women but we have there's no research out there about nursing at all so mm-hmm. he is going to he's going to help us do that and we're hoping eventually to be able to add to that body of knowledge not just for political scientists but for nursing as well
1: yeah that sounds that sounds really prudent um i have a question for you so we're all familiar with the Gallup poll and every year it comes out and shows us who the most trusted professions are, right? And nurses are always on top. We've been on top for 20 years or 21 years. And then doctors, pharmacists, teachers, police officers, clergy, judges, you know, are in the top 10. So when we think about members of Congress, for instance, they're down at the bottom um, right after car salespeople and right above telemarketers, so mm-hmm. when okay, let's say I'm a nurse and I'm thinking about running for office, even if it's not national office like Congress, but still, thinking about you know, I am now a politician, if I launch a campaign, I'm a politician, and Politicians and nurses are viewed very differently within the culture, obviously. The Gallup poll says a lot about that, doesn't it? Have you observed that nurses who enter the fray have a little bit of an identity, um, not crisis, but there's just, there's a little push and pull there because of how politicians are Viewed versus how nurses are viewed. That could be a real big um, paradigm shift, I would think.
0: Absolutely. That's a great, that's a really good observation. And that is, that goes back to the healing politics piece, because what we find is that, and Gail Adcock in North Carolina is a great example of this. She's a Uh, Democrat that was elected to our nurse practitioner, Democrat elected to our state house. And she's now the very first nurse to ever serve in the Senate in North Carolina. But she talks about living in the aisle like she's not. She said, you know, I'm I'm a Democrat. Obviously, I run as a Democrat, but. Uh, my knowledge and the the issues that we have don't just fit Democratic issues. And a lot of the issues that we're dealing with aren't Democratic or Republican issues. They're issues that our state has that our the citizens of our state have, and they deserve to have both people, both parties working together. And so she always talks about living in the aisle because that's where all the action is. But I think that's a great metaphor for the fact that nurses bring that problem-solving, negotiation, collaboration piece, because we're doing that. I mean, we don't always agree with every treatment decision that's made for our patients in a in a healthcare system, whether it be in the hospital or how they're managed in a clinic, um, but we're always talking, negotiating, asking questions, problem-solving. And so it allows us with our background as nurses to bring that to politics. Now, I don't, we don't hear a lot, and all of this is anecdotal because there are no research studies about nurses who run for elected office because there aren't many nurses who run for elected office. But anecdotally, what we hear from nurses is when they're campaigning, that because they make that, they have that therapeutic relationship with patients that we really make in about 25, 30 seconds, they're able to do that same thing at a door when they're knocking on a door or meeting a voter at a poll or talking to somebody on the phone, that it really does kind of turn the idea of what a quote unquote politician is on its ear. And ha- it really does have people more thinking of nurses in elected office as pu- as, as true public servants, because mm-hmm. of how they view nurses and how we are able to speak to people um, and kind of find that common ground that we don't hear a lot of um, a lot of that issue when they when they come to a door and talk to a constituent for the first mm-hmm. time or a potential constituent for the first time.
1: I had a feeling you'd say something like that, but I really wanted to ask because of that that that's um, sort of a paradox of you know the politician versus the nurse in the eyes of society. So I think it's an important thing to bring to light. And I bet you probably talk about that in um your campaign school because it's it's a thing. And you know, nurses are aware of their how they're viewed in the world. And, you know, it's kind of, I think it's an important part of our identity for many of us, you know, being part of the most trusted profession. So we have to wind down here, but I have a question for you. If I'm a nurse and I have no interest whatsoever in running for elected office, kind of like you or me, um, but I understand why it's important to be civically engaged, what are a couple things I can do in order to... Feel and be engaged?
0: So that's an excellent question because when we're talking about our mission statement, which is to inspire, motivate, recruit, and train nurses and midwives to run for elected office and build a culture of civic engagement, it's that second half, that building the culture of civic engagement, that really Mm -hmm. truly is the way bigger lift. Because with 4.3 million nurses, if 5,000 of us run for office, there are 4199000 that can help nurses run for elected office, can help them, whether it's donating $5 to a campaign or agreeing to knock on doors. The, the beauty of um, being running for office these days is that you don't have to live in my district. While you can't vote for me, you can make phone calls for me. You can come here and knock on doors for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but more importantly kind of my first step would be join your professional organization if you don't belong to your professional organization because that is where you get a lot of the information about what's happening in your state what's happening locally um advocacy issues for nurses things that are important to nurses and their patients and then the other thing i would say would be to visit our website sign up for our mailing list and we will be able to help you learn about um Nurses that are running for elected office, exactly how to become more civically engaged. Maybe there isn't a nurse running in your district, but it will help. We can help you learn how to evaluate campaign candidates and see who might be more nurse friendly, or what questions do you want to ask them, or how do you want to get involved in a school board race versus somebody who's running for governor. Um, there are so many different levels of civic engagement and really professional organizations kind of lay that groundwork and our goal is to build on that at Healing Politics. So there's something for everybody, whether you want to run, whether you want to um, work on a campaign or whether you just want to understand more about voting, Mm -hmm. because that's important too. And in my experience, unfortunately, um, not a lot of nurses vote Mm -hmm. and we should.
1: Yeah, maybe you just want to understand the legislative process in your state and maybe you want to go to committee meetings that you care about during legislative session, which is happening right here in New Mexico right now. Or maybe you want to meet with your state legislator to talk about any issue that's on your mind, like maybe the Nurse Practice Act in your state is up for renegotiation and the Medical Association is pushing to dilute nurses' nurse's um, purview or something, you know, there's always some issue you might want to get behind. And people can go to healing-politics.org, right? That's the website. And then healingpolitics.org on Facebook. And then healing underscore politics on Instagram. And Twitter is healingpolitics as well. And we'll have your LinkedIn in the show notes. And before we go, I'd like to ask you for lightning round questions that I ask all my guests. May I um, engage you in that particular uh, activity? Absolutely. Okay. So the first question is how do you define success personally and or professionally?
0: I'm going to go just because of the topic at hand, I'm going to go professionally on this Mm -hmm. one. And I would view success as somebody picking up the baton. I mean, I'm 52 years old, (laughs) Mm -hmm. Lisa is quote unquote retired. We're not going to do this work for 40 more years. So my view of success would be the next generation or people from that next generation of nurses or current gender, I mean, current nurses that are out there picking up this baton, understanding why this work is so important and keeping healing politics going.
1: Awesome. That's great. All right. Second question. Could you name or just describe someone who's inspired you in the course of your life, they can be living or dead, famous or not famous in any way whatsoever?
0: That's a big question, <laughs> Keith. That's a really big question. Yeah. It, we talked about it earlier. And I have to say, so personally, my, my mother passed away when I was quite young, when I was 17. <laughs> she was very influential in my life. But if we're talking about Um, professional life. I will say there was, she was my um, critical care uh, mentor. Her name is Jenny Sandoval. She was one of my professors at UNCG. And she really helped me as a mentor, even though I was a second degree student and I was older than any nurse that I was graduating um, from school with from with my BSN. She really helped me transition in those first couple of years and kind of get my sea legs underneath me and help me take what I learned in nursing school and really become an expert ICU nurse. So whether that was emotional support as you're trying to, you know, I think I know what I'm doing, but I'm, you know, you're standing in front of a med cart and you're like, "Furosemide is Lasix, isn't it? And you're just second guessing everything. I mean, from things mm-hmm. like that, all the way to, um, particular disease states or, or questions that I had along the way, she was just so crucial in my development clinically as a nurse. And then, um, of course, within the profession of nursing.
1: Lovely. Okay. Third question, penultimate question. Is there a book or a movie? It doesn't have to be an absolute favorite because that's so hard for many of us to pin down. That's had an impact on the way you think the way you approach your work or the way you live your life.
0: Absolutely. This one is so easy because of my, um, policy work, my teaching, Mm -hmm. um, policy and advocacy from silence to voice that book. I remember when it came out, I graduated with my BSN in 2001 and the first edition came out right around Mm -hmm. that time. I remember remember reading that on a plane when I was going on vacation and it just changed my entire view about how nurses, like it says, should interact with the public because while we're trusted Nobody really understands what we do. They trust nurses, but they don't understand nursing Mm -hmm. and how incumbent it is on us as nurses to let them know exactly what we're doing, what we know, what we bring to the table. And Mm -hmm. so that I... Every single one of my classes has to read that book as a result, but I just, it's in its third edition. I love it. I love it. I read it every year.
1: (laughs) Yep. That book's been on my bookshelf since it first came out, I think in 2001. And that's Suzanne Gordon and Bernice Beresh. And it's from, it's from. From silence to voice, what nurses know and need to communicate to the public or something like that. Exactly. And I've had Suzanne Gordon on this show um, back in the day, long time ago. So I should circle back to her. Um, All right. Last question. And Mm -hmm. this is sort of related to politics, um, but not, but it is. So you'll see. If you were named queen of the world tomorrow, so... Not elected, just named. <laughs> What's one of the first things you would want to do to improve the lives of your subjects? And this means queen of the world, meaning you have absolute power. And this would just be your first action as the newly appointed queen.
0: Does it have to be a realistic action?
1: No, no. Okay. Queens, queens have ultimate power.
0: Lovely. Then I would wave my scepter. Mm -hmm. And help nurses understand what power they have, what knowledge they have, and be confident in using that knowledge to not just improve healthcare, but everything we know about the social determinants of health. So, whether we are talking about food, shelter, um, and those types of very basic things, all the way to education, environment, um, built environment in um, public transportation, how we can affect all of that because we understand it, whether we realize it or not, that is what I would do.
1: You sound like you would be an activist queen for sure.
0: (laughs) Yes, probably. That's awesome.
1: Wow. Well, I think some people out there are probably raising their hands that they would definitely, you know, choose to um, appoint you queen of the world. So Kimberly Gordon, thank you so much. And people can go to healing-politics.org to find out more. And the campaign school is May 24th to 27th, 2023, if they would like to get involved. And thank you so much for being here. I'm so glad we connected and um, we're able to um, really kind of dig into this topic, which is so very important.
0: And it's something I'm so passionate about. I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity. Thank you.
1: Thank you. All right, there you have it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nurse Keith Show. The show notes will be at nursekeith.com or on any app where you happen to be listening. Please go to healing-politics.org. Like them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram and connect with Kim on LinkedIn. The link will be in the show notes. I hope you feel uplifted and empowered from this episode. And if you need personalized, holistic career coaching, look no further than nursekeith.com and Nurse Keith Coaching. Mention the show and get 10% off your first coaching package. And if you want to become a patron at Patreon, that would be awesome. patreo forward slash nursekeith. And leave a rating and review. That would be a real, doing me a solid, and helping the show grow. We're proud members of the Health Podcast Network at healthpodcastnetwork.com. We're produced by the awesome Rob Johnston of 520 r Podcasting, and Mark Cappies-Beeson is our stalwart, social media ringmaster, and newsletter wrangler. Before we say goodbye, I'll leave you with this quote by Albert Schweitzer, success is not the key to happiness, happiness is the key to success. If you love what you're doing, you will be successful. Be well, dig deep, seek joy, keep in touch. This is Nurse Keith saying adios till next time from beautiful Santa Fe, New Mexico and the inimitable Kimberly Gordon saying arrivederci from...
0: Winston-Salem, North Carolina.
1: Awesome. Thank you so much, Kim. Thanks to everyone for listening and we will catch you on the proverbial flip side.